If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 211th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I have a wonderful interview for you today, but before we dive in, I want to ask you a question. What is your mom mode? You may say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mom mode is the way or manner you mother your teen or young adult. There are many modes, but not all of them are healthy or helpful for you or your teen. Your mom mode impacts how you interact with your teen or young adult. It determines how effective you are as a mom. It influences how much you enjoy or dread the teenage years. So if you want to find out what your mom mode is, good news. You can go to my homepage at ColleenOGrady.com, take a very short two-minute quiz. This literal two-minute quiz will give you the clarity you need to identify if your mode is giving you the results you want, or if it's time to choose a new mom mode that will enhance your relationships, your parenting, and your life. You will get your results right away. You will learn what your strengths are, where there is room to grow, and practical ideas that will help you now. Again, it takes two minutes. Just go to my homepage at ColleenOGrady.com, and that's two L's, two E's, and Colleen. So ColleenOGrady.com, and fill out your quiz now. Okay, I can't believe that it's almost my one-year anniversary of 
my book, Dial Up the Dream, that was launched last year on May 3rd. Moms, if you have a senior about to graduate, or if you have a friend who has a teen that's about to graduate, there's no better gift. Many moms have told me that this book, Dial Up the Dream, is the what to expect when you're expecting book for moms of graduating seniors. So Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, walks you through that transition of letting go and redefining your relationship with your son or daughter. And I know this time for you, senior moms, brings up every emotion possible. I had one senior mom tell me that her daughter was a total hornet, and yet you know you're going to miss them at the same time. Truly, this book is helpful. You will feel validated, supported, encouraged, and you will be guided with practical tips. After 50,000 hours of counseling moms of teens and young adults, I've heard what doesn't work and the common traps moms fall into that can actually push your son or daughter away. Your teen will have an undeveloped prefrontal cortex when they go off to college. So you do have a role to play, and yet you do need to let go. And I know that's confusing, which is why I wrote Dial of the Dream. You can order it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever books are sold. I love this next guest. So one thing about me is I love metaphors, humor, authenticity, and Meredith has all three. If you ever have felt under a mother load, you will enjoy this real conversation. We talk about invisible battles, toxic positivity, and how moms crave real. Meredith Ethington is a mother, author, and founder of the Perfection Pending blog, which gives mothers encouragement, humor, and heart. Her debut book, Mom Life Perfection Pending, was published through Absolute Love Publishing and debuted online as the number one choice in the motherhood category. She is the co-owner and editor at FilterFreeParents.com. Meredith resides in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where she encourages mothers to laugh at themselves and admit that while parenting is the best thing ever, it's also the hardest job on earth. So welcome, Meredith Ethington. Hi, how are you? Great. I'm so glad that you're here. And the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a mom? And if so, what are the ages of your kids? I am a mom. Um, I have a 16-year-old girl, a 14-year-old boy, and an 11-year-old boy. So I'm entering those years of teenage craziness. Yes, you are. <laughs> and you just published The Mother Load, Surviving the Daily Grind Without Losing Your Ever-Loving Mind, which I love the title. Thank you. Can you tell me why you wrote the book? So I wrote the book mostly because, um, you know, I've been writing online for a long time about my own parenting journey. And I noticed a trend that anytime I wrote about my mental health struggles or the overwhelm of motherhood, the mental load, anything kind of in that category is when I would get women um, reaching out to me and saying, oh my gosh, that's how I feel too. I didn't know anyone else felt this way. I'm so glad you're saying the hard things out loud. So those kind of things gave me the courage to write about something a little more vulnerable, which is kind of this weight that we all carry around as mothers. 
That's good. That's true. And I've been a therapist for 30 years, talked to lots and lots of moms. And I know, and you're going to talk, I know you talk about this in your book, that a lot of moms feel isolated with these feelings. Absolutely. I think um, that's what drew me into writing online in the first place was my own isolation. When I became a mom for the first time, my husband was in graduate school. I was living away from family in this little teeny apartment, and I had this brand new creature to take care of. And it was very, very overwhelming. And I had postpartum depression and didn't even really realize it at the time until it was kind of over. And I didn't have a community or a group of people. And this was even before Facebook. 2006 was when my daughter was born. And so I was really isolated and really lonely. And it was hard to not have people to reach out to or to feel like I had support. So when I started writing online, it gave me that just as much as I felt like I was giving that to other people. Yeah. When what I've noticed, because I focus on the tween and teen and young adult years, Mm -hmm. is that believe it or not, moms are more open in the younger years. Like they're like, oh, my child, she didn't get any sleep or all the little infant dramas. Right. But then there's more shame around the high school years. And so moms, once again, are feel that sense of isolation, like they can't be really honest about the struggles that they have with their teens and young adults. Yeah, I totally feel that 100%. I have really noticed a shift in my own writing, being more protective of my children because they're growing up. They're going to one day have their own you know, adult lives and be out in the world. And I don't want my view of my experience raising them to impact them negatively in any way. So I am a lot more careful about what I share with people and about their privacy. And that does create more isolation for moms raising teenagers. And honestly, the the little kid years are hard, but the problems feel bigger when they're teenagers because they can talk back and they can, they have their own strong will and their own personalities developed and they think they know everything. And so it really challenges you a lot as a mom, because it's, you don't necessarily have someone you can just go run and vent to about all those big kid problems because you want to protect your kids and protect their privacy and kind of make sure that whatever struggles they're going through are, you know, not shared in a way that might, shame them or embarrass them. So at least that's how I feel. So I do think it's more isolating for sure. Yeah. I think the stakes feel higher. Absolutely. You know, and so moms are really worried or have anxiety or sad or depressed because of what they're worried about, about their kids. Absolutely. Just having, again, having this heaviness hanging over you that, you want to reach out to somebody and get their advice, but at the same time, you know, not feeling like you totally can do that is a really heavy load to carry. Yeah. Can you talk more about what is the mother load? Well, I think the mother load encompasses lots of things. I I originally wanted this book to be solely about mental illness and parenting with anxiety and depression. But as I wrote the book, I realized it's so much bigger than that because 
so many parents, you know, may not actually have a diagnosed mental illness that they're struggling with, but they feel a mental load that is heavy and burdensome and overwhelming and sometimes don't know how to navigate that without some more tools and some more support or help. And so I think we all have a part of the mother load. I think every, even, even men, I'll say it. I, I, I've had some dads say, what about the father load? <laughs> and I think men carry their own load too, for sure. But I think the mother load encompasses the expectations that we put on ourselves as moms before we become moms and the heaviness of maybe those failed expectations when we're not exactly who we thought we were going to be. Mm -hmm. um, I think it encompasses societal expectations, the pressures we feel, maybe scrolling through social media and feeling like we're not doing it right or we're not doing it good enough. Um, and then also that component of just taking care of our mental health and how important that is to um, be aware that we need to be nurtured and cared for and do our own work in order to help our kids be the best kids they can be. Yeah. You had some statistics in your book and I forgot what they were. But <laughs> Shoot, I probably won't remember either, but let's go for it. <laughs> but the idea was, well, I'll say it my way. It seems like moms have more of a load because we're more in the weeds in a good way. Like we know all the details. We're aware of all those things. We're micromanaging and macromanaging many, many, many things. Absolutely. Yeah, I just this morning I shared um, just kind of a silly video online that was about how I had cleaned out my fridge and threw away all the rotting food in my fridge and how I'm the only one that thinks to do that. <laughs> and that seems like a little thing, right? But if you add up all those little things that moms tend to carry around with them and think about and have running in their heads all the time, it amounts to really big stuff. Can you imagine if we never emptied the rotting food from our fridge? Like that would be a huge job a year later or whatever. <laughs> I don't think anyone has that much Tupperware, but, or big enough fridge. But, um, I, I do think that all those little things that we have to keep track of and micromanage add up to the big things. And that's what the mother load is. It's about trying to remember everything. And honestly, it's impossible. And so we are going to fail. We are going to forget things. Um, I forgot the day my kids were getting braces. I forgot to take them to the orthodontist that day. And I remember calling mm -hmm. and the receptionist, I could sense a little bit of annoyance in her voice. Like, I can't believe you forgot this appointment. And I felt kind of some shame around that. But as soon as I talked about that shame online with other moms and the shame around trying to remember everything and dropping the ball. It was amazing how many moms were like, I'm so glad you said this. I'm the same way, or I really struggle keeping track of things, or I need a personal assistant. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 I was speaking to a mom's group last night and I talk about the mother fog. Yes. And I say, don't say that fast five times. Right. But, um, but yeah, so the mother fog is that you go to the grocery store to buy some milk and you come back and you have three bags of groceries and you forgot the milk. Fuck, I got the milk. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, my favorite little story about myself is that I had this beautiful ring that was custom made and I just loved it. And I had it for about six weeks and then I couldn't find it. Oh no! And it was gone for like about a month. And then my daughter finally said, mom, why did you put your ring on the frozen spinach in the freezer? 
You know what? I cannot believe this story because almost the identical thing happened to me. Really? I kid you you not. When we first moved into this house, I lost my wedding ring and it was a little bit too big and it had slipped off from time to time and I could not find it for three days. I was bawling. It was a family heirloom and I found it in my produce drawer. I kid you not. (laughs) I can't believe that. So funny. I know. I must have just been going a million miles an hour and throwing something in the freezer and it just flew out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We are soul sisters. (laughs) I know for sure. (laughs) Wow. All right. You say that moms fight battles every day that no one sees. So how can we see and validate the invisible battles? Well... That's a good one because oftentimes, as we've already been talking about, I think when we have older kids, we're scared to talk about those battles with other moms. I think when you can be vulnerable with someone you trust, not everybody's going to post their problems online, you know, like maybe a social media influencer might do. But if you have someone you can trust or I always say people in your inner circle, those are the people that you know are not going to judge and you know are going to be there for you. I think being vulnerable enough to open up to them helps to kind of release that shame and that burden. So I would say first, don't be afraid to speak up about your troubles and about your struggles with people you can trust. And second, ask. If you're the one and you can sense that a friend is struggling say, Hey, I feel like, you know, you're going through a rough time. I want to be there for you. Is there anything I can do? And maybe they won't share their deepest, darkest secrets with you, but I think at least asking and being willing to be there for someone and sit with them in their hard time is the way to validate those struggles. So they know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say also like moms, you can trust your own wisdom and discernment. So if a mom is judgy, and, you know, she talks about people mm-hmm. like you, that's not your person. Exactly. Oh, I believe that a hundred percent. I think you do have to kind of weed out people in your life and find out who are the ones that my secrets really are safe with, who are mm-hmm. the ones that can hold space for me and show empathy and be non-judgmental. Cause those are your people when you can find those. And it's hard, it's hard in adulthood to sometimes find mom friends that really get you and can really be there for you. But you got to just keep putting yourself out there and keep trying because it's worth it when you find Mm -hmm. those people. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us why solo trips to Target are not (laughs) self-care? And do you think self-care is important for moms? And how do you define self-care? Yes. So This is one that got a lot of buzz um, (laughs) when I first shared online about kind of a shower is not necessarily self-care. Now, I want to give this caveat that it can be for some people. However, the definition of self-care in my mind is something that actually refuels you and rejuvenates you and is something just for you. So I kind of look at how my husband does self-care versus, you know, maybe what I try to say is self-care. So my husband is never going to go to the grocery store and pick up a few things for the household and call it self-care. He would never do that. Or he would never go out and mow the lawn and say, well, I'm away from the kids. So this is my me time. 
Never. (laughs) So as women, we shouldn't do that to ourselves either. When we are trying to multitask and do a million things, that is not rejuvenating us and refueling us. So I would say self-care is something intentional, something that you really put some thought into that this is going to be what I need right now. Maybe it is a hot shower, but a shower where you can stay in there as long as you want because someone else is watching the kids. But I don't think we should justify things as self-care that aren't because then that gives the message to people around us, our spouse or partner or our children, that that's all we need. When in reality, that's probably not all we need. And my husband, when he wants self-care, he goes, he's very outdoors and he goes and climbs a mountain and does something physical. That's his thing. And that is not my thing. (laughs) I mean, I like to go on walks with my dog, but my thing is more of kind of an introverted activity where I'm, you know, reading or watching something or just having quiet time. So it can look different for everybody, but I think the key is to make it intentional and make sure you're not multitasking things for your entire household in the process. And that's what Target is for me. I can never go to Target (laughs) without getting, you know, 10 things we need for the house as well. Right. (laughs) Yes. A couple of things I want to say about that is I remember I had a client and we're, we were talking about self-care and she says, well, I do self-care. And I said, okay, what do you do? And she goes, well, I get a manicure once a week. So I say that my little pun is it manicure wasn't cutting it because, <laughs> you know, she hated her kids. She hated her husband. She was complaining about her mother, like, you know, just hated her life. So that, that wasn't doing it. Right. So another thing I would say is a lot of the moms I'll come in and I'll, they'll like complain about their husbands in my practice. And they'll say, oh, my God, he went and played golf. He he had poker night. Oh, my gosh. She just hung out with his friends and had a beer. Yeah. And And I say to them, like, instead of being resentful, see that as that you can just claim it for yourself. Absolutely. So kind of on the same vein of what you were talking about with your husband. Mm-hmm. Of Yeah. So like, you don't have to be mad at him. You can just say, you know, that's so great that you play golf. Here's what I'm going to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and maybe you hate golf and that's fine. But take that same time, put that same time and energy into planning what you want to do. I think men do that easier because they don't have the mental load all the time that we do. They can disconnect easier, but I think we could learn something from that, that we can do that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And dial down the drama. I talk about the five essential areas to feel good. And so you, and it's kind of the same thing in terms of what you were saying about what fills us up. We can be intentional, like you were talking about, and it literally gives us dopamine. Yes. Like it wakes us up from like, if you're just doing the monotonous things every single day, you just flatline. Absolutely. I felt that when I first became a mom, I thought stay at home motherhood was all I wanted to do. All I wanted to be in the whole wide world, but then, (laughs) (laughs) but then hello, I did it. And I realized it was really monotonous a lot of the time. And even having older kids, there's still laundry and dishes and things to do that feel monotonous and boring and not stimulating. So Mm -hmm. I think finding that thing that stimulates you and gives you that dopamine hit, whatever that looks like for you is absolutely crucial. Yes. All right. So can you talk about your I can't days Mm -hmm. and 
if you have any illustrations of an I can't day. Oh gosh, I just had one like a couple of days ago. <laughs> so my <laughs> my kids, we've been going round and round with illness for the past like four weeks. I don't I don't know why springtime seems to be worse, but I had like three weeks in a row where my kids, there was one kid at least home with me and they weren't all in school. And I was like, this is draining me, even though like even though my kids are older and they can kind of just lay on the couch and watch TV when they're not feeling good, just not having that, my own me time and my own personal space and quiet and knowing there was someone else in the house was really draining me. And so the first day that they were all back in school was this past Friday, I think. And I ended up doing nothing all day. (laughs) And I was kind of beating myself up about it a little bit. Like, they're gone. Like you have the house to yourself. You could be getting so much done. But instead what I did was kind of just had a lazy day at home, you know, in my pajamas. And I think those, I can't days are okay to have sometimes. And I think the important thing to recognize is that we give ourselves grace in those moments, because when our body and mind is screaming, I can't do this maybe we really shouldn't. Maybe we should give ourselves a little bit of downtime, let the dishes sit there a little longer, let the work sit there a little longer and give ourselves time to kind of regroup. Now, obviously, since I talk about mental illness in this book, it has to be noted that multiple days, weeks, months of I can't days, it could be problematic and could be a sign that you need to go to your doctor and seek help. But I think it's okay every once in a while to slow down, recharge, and just do nothing if that's what you can get away with. You know, not everybody has that luxury. <laughs> I mm-hmm. recognize that, but sometimes that's okay. Sometimes maybe you get home from work and you can't do anything because you're exhausted and tired. That's okay. Absolutely. I feel that is so important because I think so many moms were caught in the productivity trap that we Mm -hmm. just feel like if we aren't being productive, that like we're the biggest failures ever. Yes. I'm super guilty of that mindset. I have to fight that mindset actively all the time. And I've been a mom 16 years, but I still feel like if I'm not, if I can't have something visible that I've achieved or accomplished, then what did I do today? You know, I think just carrying that mental load for your entire family, that's doing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the pregnant mom who's just like, uh, but she's like creating brains and hearts and things like that. Exactly. That's a big job. <laughs> You're creating a whole human. <laughs> Which kind of fits into this that I think that this generation of moms are told things like, you can do it all. And if you try hard enough, it's everything's workable. And how do you think that this mindset creates unrealistic expectations for moms? And what do you think the consequences of that are? Well, the consequences, I think, are mental health issues, whether it's a temporary bout of depression or anger and rage, Mm -hmm. um, because you are expected to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and do everything and be everything to everyone. I think it does have an effect on this generation. I think we in kind of Western culture, 
especially put a lot of focus on productivity, like you said, and we think we should be able to be our own boss, babe, and, you know, raise the kids and also keep a perfectly clean white countertop, you know, or whatever, whatever the expectation is. And I think social media perpetuates that. And I think we have to really check ourselves as we scroll on our phones and start to feel lousy Mm -hmm. about ourselves and about what we're achieving and doing, because I don't think we're meant to have it all. Not, not all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think there are stages of life for everything. You know, I'm, I'm going back to school in my forties. This is not something I ever thought I would do, but I'm doing it because it's the right time. It's the right time for me and my family. And I think just recognizing that there are stages of life and it's okay to embrace that you can't do it all at the same time. Yeah. And don't you think implied and you can do it all is that you can do it all by yourself? Yes. Because we all need help. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's just ludicrous when you really think about it. When I think about everything I have to do in a day, in fact, just getting ready for this podcast, I was looking around my house at all the things that needed to be done and making a mental checklist of what I needed to do when we were finished. And, you know, that's, that's exhausting and overwhelming, but you know, my kids are capable of coming home and doing some of the things that are sitting around that are staring at me right now. So I I believe in chores for sure. And I believe (laughs) in just leaning on your partner, leaning on your circle of friends, family, whoever it is that can help support you. Because we're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to carry the burden all by ourselves. And one thing I think is if we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves, and if we are caught in the productivity trap, then we look at our kids that way and we put that on them. Yes, I'm guilty of that too. (laughs) Just because I'm like wanting to do and achieve and be productive. And so, you know, sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of like, well, they need downtime at the end of the day, but they're just sitting there playing a video game. They're not doing anything. I need to get them engaged and doing something. But, you know, they need just as much downtime as we need. And they need to be kids and they need to be able to relax. So I think absolutely we can fall into that trap of, you know, trying to get our kids to, especially when you talk about raising teenagers and trying to get them to achieve and be the best. And I think kids put that pressure on themselves today. I've noticed they do. that. With- with my oldest, she's a very high achieving kid. And I've had to say to her, you know, a B is okay. Like it's okay. If you get a B, it's not going to be the end of the world. And so I think being able to model to your kids that slowing down is okay. Not being productive is okay. And it's okay for them too. I think that's, that's really good. And we can learn a lot from our teenagers because they're like, F this, I'm going to relax. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Maybe a little too much sometimes, but yes, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I think, I think just, yeah, they absolutely know how to (laughs) unwind and yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. I have seen so many more kids with anxiety disorders, this Mm -hmm. generation, I would say 20 years ago, kids were pulled into therapy because, you know, they stayed out too late. Now the kids want to come see me because they're so anxious. Yeah, they want the help. 
They do. And I, and I think this younger generation too wants to take care of their mental health. And I think that's amazing Yeah, because I think parents are talking more about it. And that's kind of what I hope this book does too, is opens that dialogue with your children to not be afraid to tell them what's going on with you, what you need for your mental health, and maybe what you're observing in them that they mm-hmm. need to do to kind of take care of their own mental health. Yeah. Which one of my favorite sayings is that our kids need models, not martyrs. Mm, I love that. You know? Yeah. So if we're modeling that we're taking on our own mental health and well-being, that's modeling something really important for our kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I am not afraid to say to my kids, you know, I'm just feeling really stressed out and anxious today. I'm sorry that I lost my temper but this is how I'm feeling inside. And I just, I need a minute that models to them that they can reflect that back to me next time they're having a day or having a moment where they need to unleash or they're grumpy or whatever. And modeling saying, I'm sorry to when you mess up. I just think that's so powerful for kids. Yeah. All right. You say toxic positivity is dangerous and invalidating. So what is toxic positivity and how does this impact moms on social media? Oh, I see this so often and it drives me nuts. Okay, great. (laughs) So I'm really passionate about this issue because I think when I first started to write publicly online about the hard parts of parenting, I got a lot of those people that were reaching out and saying, me too, I needed to hear this. I'm so glad someone's saying it. But I got a lot of people saying, you know, you should just be grateful that you have kids or why did you ever have kids if you're going to complain or you Mm. should have known what you were getting into or insert whatever invalidating comment you can insert there. And so I think toxic positivity just encompasses this idea that we should always be positive, happy, grateful, look on the bright side kind of mentality and that it's never okay to talk about the hard stuff. And I think you've got to have a balance. I have a chapter in my book about the negative Nancys of the world because I'm kind of a negative Nancy. I kind of am a half glass empty sort of person. And so I have to watch myself and make sure I'm not being too negative, right? And that I do really embrace the beautiful parts of life. But I think giving people this idea all the time that, you should never complain and never speak up can also create mental health issues because we need to talk about things. There are people, I'm, I'm one of those people that's a verbal processor. Mm-hmm. I need to talk about things to get it out and get over it and move on. And I think a lot of people are craving that. Yes. A funny thing is that I remember seeing a couple and the mom was just like trying to get some help with, like, I think she had five kids or something. Mm-hmm. And she says, I just need some help. And And so what her husband said was, well, you wanted the kids and you have the kids. So why aren't you happy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's so invalidating, you know? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So often there's a parallel process of what we need as moms and what our teens need. Mm -hmm. So often like, let's say your 16 year old daughter Mm -hmm. is really unhappy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's driving you crazy because, you know, she just had like a birthday party and things have been amazing. And so you're just can't deal with it. So you go in to try to make her happy, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And of course, that's always a disaster because mm-hmm. then it's a worse fight. Yes. <laughs> um, but then it's the same thing is like if you've had a hard day as a mom, you don't want, you know, a family member, your husband, your partner, whoever giving you advice, uh-huh. minimizing it. We all want to be understood. We want want you to understand, like you said, the invisible battles. Right. Like we're having this intense day. We want someone to understand. But also our teens are wanting that too. Absolutely. I just had an experience with my 16-year-old. And she came into me and had some big feelings about things I was doing and wasn't doing. <laughs> and my initial gut reaction was to get defensive and and say to her, you know, whatever, you're not being grateful or you don't recognize all the good things I do. But in that moment, I was very proud of myself because I'm not always this level-headed. But in that moment, I really saw that she needed that validation and she needed just to be heard by me because I was the person that was hurting her in her mind. Mm -hmm. And I was able to sit there with her in that moment and validate her and say things to her like, I can see how that's hard for you and okay, I'll try to do better, that sort of thing. But I'll tell you, as soon as she left the room, I fell apart (laughs) because I needed that space too, to be able to recenter, to check in with myself and know that I'm okay and that I am a good mom, even though she was telling me all these really hard things. You do have to validate your kids. They need it so, so much, but then also hold space for your own feelings because they're going to come up. You're going to oh, yeah. feel you're going to feel rejected or hurt or defensive or whatever when they tell you, you know, you don't love me or whatever, whatever it is they tell you. you well, know? I'm going to say you get like 300 gold stars because <laughs> it's it's really hard if you're the target of their unhappiness. Yes. It's mm-hmm. way easier if you're not the target. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I was the target that day. And, and, you know, I was able to vent to my husband later and tell him some of the things that she said and, you know, find my validation elsewhere instead of trying to defend myself. Yes. You say that people crave real. And so what do you mean by that? And how do we become more real and vulnerable? I get that I'm an open book kind of person and I get that not everybody is like that. Uh And so... I've really thought about that a lot because I think being real and authentic and being true to who you are is how you can build real authentic connection with other people in your life. And it's hard for some people. It's hard for some people to share those scary things because it does feel scary and vulnerable and like we're going to be rejected or judged. So I say baby steps. If that's not in your nature, I say baby steps. Start by just sharing one thing that's hurting you or one thing that's bothering you with someone close to you and see how it goes. Because I would say most people that love you and care about you are going to try to be there for you in some way. And maybe they won't do it perfectly, but we can't get that connection and that support we need if we're not real and authentic. Mm -hmm. If we're always trying to stuff feelings down. I think this applies to parenting. It applies to your relationships with friends, partners. You're not going to build that connection. You know, my husband and I have been married 20 years and we are in marriage therapy and I have zero shame about that because number one has saved us, but also it has taught us how to communicate 
hard feelings with each other in a way that shows our vulnerability and allows us to show up and be empathetic. And I don't think you can do that without being real. I think Mm -hmm. you, I think people crave that realness because they crave connection. And especially in this world where we're so separate and often hiding behind a screen or not, not necessarily getting together in person as much anymore as we used to, that people really, really crave that connection with others. And I really agree with you on the baby steps because you don't have to tell everything. You want to kind of test it out. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of hint at something and see how it's taken. Absolutely. And find, like we were talking about earlier, find those people that are the trusted people that can that can manage it and take it. Yeah. You say thriving in motherhood is a long game. Can you tell us what you mean and how do you do that? <laughs> well, when I look back at when I look back at how I was as a new mom versus how I am 16 years later, it's definitely a long game. I'm still trying to figure things out. And I'm still, you know, I shared the best reaction that I had with my 16-year-old and didn't share maybe the time I didn't hold it together or I was defensive. So I'm still learning every single day how to, especially because your kids are growing up and they're becoming different people every single day. And so I think it's a long game in the sense that we have to constantly adjust and constantly be humble enough. I mean, motherhood will humble you like nothing else, (laughs) but be humble enough to recognize, Hey, I'm still learning too. I've never raised a teenager before. And then when the next kid becomes a teenager, I've never raised this type of teenager before because they're going to be different than your first teenager. So I think just recognizing that there's perfection is not the goal that being open and willing to learn and grow through the whole journey I'm not an empty nester now, but I know there are going to be things to learn in that process too. Mm -hmm. When my kids leave home and when they become their own people and I have to stand back and just watch it, you know, I know there will be things to learn there too as a mom. So it is a long game. It's something that never ends, you know, parenting doesn't end. Yeah. So, yeah. In my new book, Dial Up the Dream, which is really helping moms from 18 to 25, because looking at the brain development. Mm -hmm. So I have two chapters in there that really are helping moms come up with their story. So the first part I call the mom crisis, and we're looking at all the hard parts of mothering, all those unseen battles and struggles. And then the, the second chapter is really a more complete look at the story Because what we're going to see, and like you see from having a baby up to having a 16-year-old, is how you've changed really for the better. Mm -hmm. You know, that we've had to create qualities that we didn't have and abilities and all sorts of things. And you can be proud about that. We are better people, I think, because of having been a mother. And there's a, a proverb, one translation says, Just like a grinding wheel, so does one person sharpen another. And I I think so. I think a lot of times we think we are the ones just sharpening our teens Mm -hmm. or our small ones or big ones, but they sharpen us also. Absolutely. I mean, I my whole world 
lens shifted when I became a mom, but it continues to shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I continue to be amazed by the things they do and the things they say and the things they accomplish. And like I said, I'm continuing to be humbled by the job <laughs> and the responsibility it is to let them grow and and be who they're going to be. I mean, that it takes a lot of, I love that wheel, the grinding wheel analogy because they certainly have shaped me. I would almost argue more than I've shaped them. Yeah. And I joke around like no one's going to put a grinding wheel on their vision board. (laughs) Maybe I will now though. (laughs) All right. So you say that you can find joy in motherhood. What are some ways you can find joy? For me, I think I really wrestled in the beginning with this idea that I wasn't enjoying it enough. And now that I have some of that perspective behind me and, you know, I love my little Facebook memories that pop up on my phone of little funny things my kids said when they were little or little videos. And I can look back at that now and realize I was enjoying it a lot, even though it felt really hard in the moment. And so now the way I approach it is just trying to carve out those little moments every day with my kids that are building connection. Because to me, that's what parenting is about, is building these connections with these other amazing humans that, frankly, are going to grow up to be who they're going to be for the most part. And we can try to guide them as much as we can. But I try to find joy in those little moments now because trying to make every day perfect is impossible. I mean, Mm -hmm. trying to look at the big picture all the time and thinking, oh, well, this, you know, this year was a total bust because of X, Y, and Z and look at all the hard things that happened. It it takes away from the beautiful moments that happen in the day-to-day life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it might just be a ride in the car with your teenager for five minutes where you get to ask them a few questions and they actually answer you instead of grunting something at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's really just about trying to find the small moments with your kids and being able to connect that way. I agree. I don't think it's ever a big shopping trip with your daughter. That's not going to yeah. do it. Shopping, especially <laughs> not. No. In fact, we have to do prom dress shopping soon. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Yes. But I do agree. It's the everyday little tiny things that you're going to miss when they leave. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter, she was not talkative on the way to middle school or on the way home from middle school. You know, I would Mm -hmm. get one word answers, but I realized it's because she was stressed. Mm -hmm. And then coming home from school, she's stressed. But when she got her homework done about the time I'm getting sleepy. Yes. Then, (laughs) um, then Sounds she's familiar. Re- yeah. Then she's ready to just tell me everything. And yes. so those moments would be throwing schnauzer on the bed and just looking at a few videos and then the world opened up and she'd tell me all these wonderful things. So that's just an ordinary moment, but those are the ones that you miss when they leave home. Yeah. And the ones they're going to miss too. And that they're yes. going to remember. I think that's the beautiful thing is just being able to show up every day for your kids in those small ways, that's what makes them feel loved. And that's what makes them feel seen. Yeah. Some of the moms I asked, like, what would you have done differently? Like when your daughter was a senior in high school and one mom summed it up perfectly. And she said, I would have spent more time connecting versus correcting. Mm. 
That's a good one for me to hear right now. <laughs> I try so hard, you know, my daughter did verbalize to me that she, she wants to spend more time with me. And I was shocked because I don't get that vibe. You know, I don't get that vibe all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I went in to her room and I said, Hey, what are you doing? You know, I was all ready to spend time together. And she was like, well, I don't want to spend time together right now. <laughs> and I went, Oh, okay. But they do, even though teenagers, you know, they, they do want that and they do crave that time with you, even mm -hmm. though maybe they don't always act like they do. Well, yeah. So like the good news, bad news part of that is the bad news is it's not on your timetable. Mm -hmm. The good news is they will, but it's on their timetable. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you have any last advice for the moms? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I know your audience, a lot of them have been moms a while, right? Because yeah. they're raising teenagers and tweens. And so I guess my biggest piece of advice for that audience would be to just try to relax <laughs> as much as possible. And this is advice to myself as much to anyone else, because I'm kind of a more high strung, high anxiety type of person, but just to savor those little moments with your kids, realize, don't look back with regret. Try to realize that you're doing it. You're showing up every day. You're doing the hard stuff. Maybe, you know, the food sits in the fridge, not cleaned out one more day and that's okay <laughs> because your kids aren't going to remember that anyway. They're going to remember the time you spent with them. And I think just know that if you can reach out and build your support network and find those trusted people in your life, that's everything. And that can help so much. So yeah, and you're doing it. You're doing a good job. That's, that's my final chapter is you're doing it. And I think that's what moms at this stage of life need to hear is like, look, you're doing it. You're showing up, you're doing the thing every single day and it's hard and challenging, but you're doing it. You're doing that's a good right. job. Yeah. Good words. <laughs> so how can moms contact you and where can they find your new book, Motherload? So it is available online on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, on my website, perfectionpending.net. I have a landing page where if you don't want to buy from those bigger places, there are indie options that you can buy from indie online bookstores. So yeah, anywhere. And I'm online everywhere. So my um, blog is Perfection Pending. I'm most active on Instagram. So if somebody wants to reach out to me, I would love it. I love hearing from parents that are struggling, or even if you're not struggling, if you, if you listen to this and you want to say, Hey, come say, Hey to me on Instagram. I'm, I check my messages and I look at them myself. So. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. I really enjoyed this. I did too. Thank you so much. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.